and the brave new world begins. When all men are paid for existing, and no man must pay for his sins, as surely as water will wet us, as surely as fire will burn, the gods of the copybook headings with terror and slaughter return. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Copybook Headings podcast. If you're a new listener just joining us for the first time, this show is inspired by the poem by Rudyard Kipling called The Gods of the Copybook Headings. And every week we take an old saying, proverb, or maxim, and we break it down to see what we can learn from it and see if there's still any any ancient wisdom in these old proverbs that are relevant today. I'm your host, Patrick Payne, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Andrew Stevens. Andrew, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. This is a great day. It, it is a great day. And what, t- tell us why it's a great day, Andrew. Oh, because we have a very special guest today, and uh, just uh, hard to believe we got yeah. uh, we have with us today Lord Miles. Um, hey, hey, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not an AI generated voice. Absolutely not. No, it's actually <laughs> Lord Miles here. I can promise you that, guys. But it's great to be on as well. I love the podcast. It's just gonna be fun. Yeah, thank you so much for jumping on. For those of you who aren't familiar with Lord Miles Rutledge, um, yeah, uh, could you tell us a little bit about about yourself and and some of the some of the adventures you've been on? Of course. Well, I'm known as the last great British explorer, and to be fair, I'm doing it in a very silly, goofy way. I was at the fall of Kabul accidentally as a last ever tourist. I also got arrested by the Taliban for eight months, made friends with them, and I've been offered citizenship. I've been to Snake Island in Brazil, front lines of Ukraine and every other country in between. I've also been to very dangerous locations such as London and California and also New York. <laughs> so it's good to go on this podcast and talk about some proverbs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so you you are, like you said, the last great British explorer. I think that kind of fits that, that, that moniker that you've been given. Um, I'd like to ask you a little bit about, about yourself, kind of like, um, you, when did all this adventuring kind of begin for you? Yes, the first sign of mental illness was deciding to, <laughs> deciding to book a trip to Afghanistan. Now, I was, I was a normal student at university, and uh-huh. it was a peak of COVID, and my, my boss basically said, okay, Miles, you're about to go into a job that's going to be 80 to 100 hours a week. It's going to be one of those crappy sit-behind-the-desks um, you know, analyze Excel sheet jobs. It's going to suck, basically. We need you to go on holiday beforehand. The company actually gives you an allowance for it. Anywhere you want to go. And I go, boss, I would love to, but it's a peak of COVID. There's nowhere to go. Where do I go? And he goes, well, figure it out. That's what, it doesn't matter. So I go, okay, I'm not going to England. That's too dangerous. I, I guess, let me look at what's available. Afghanistan? Wow, that's a great idea. Nothing go wrong here. And guess what? Something did go wrong because... Three days after I left, the fall of a uh, few days after I arrived, sorry, the fall of Kabul really happened around me, and I made friends of British SAS, our Special Forces, our Navy SEALs, and also the Taliban. And to be fair, I got a free flight back, and because I booked insurance, I got I got a free refund. So if anything, it enabled me to do it more and more, and I came, I made money off it. And I was like, bloody hell, I don't need this job. I can I can go anywhere else, and it's been going on ever since. That is incredible. That is incredible. So how did you pick Afghanistan? I, I, I heard there's a rumor that I heard going around that you said you were just kind of Googling dangerous places to visit. Is that true? <laughs> it was part of it, yes, because I there was only a few countries available. One was Albania, two was Afghanistan, and one, I think it was like some random island in Oceania. You know, who cares about that? And then I saw Afghanistan, and I was I was considering it, and I saw some YouTube videos saying, oh, it's a dangerous country. I go, really? I wonder what could go wrong. So I was Googling <laughs> top 10 most dangerous countries. And I saw that. And I said, wow, there's a list. There's a list. And I feel like it's a, a checklist at this point. So the top one's Afghanistan. I'm sure when I go there, it's going to be all fine. I'm going to prove everyone wrong. And of yes. course, I did it again. Just, you know, it wasn't <laughs> fine. But I proved it wrong anyway. Um, and yeah, that's if a list is real, the list is real. Yes. That's incredible. Um, so how does one simply travel to Afghanistan? Can you just call your, you know, hop on uh, a travel site, Expedia, and book a flight to Kabul? How, how do you do it? Yes, somehow you actually can. Um, you just simply DM your local Taliban contact on WhatsApp or not. But um, that's, that's what happens to me now. So 
these on arrival, it's not possible. I actually get it now, though, because I'm in talks with the government for a gold mine. But if you want to go there as a normal tourist, you would have to go to the embassy in Islamabad in Pakistan or the embassy in Dubai. They give you visas on arrival. Uh, so one day visa, you walk into the embassy, you fill out an A4 piece of paper, have a little photo that's, um, you know, a passport size photo. You give it to them. They print it on a, a sticker. They stick the sticker in your passport. That's your visa. Now, if you apply to one in, say, London or Canada, it takes up to seven days. It's a bit expensive, bit of a pain. You have to fill out like 50 pieces of paperwork. Now, if you want to go as a business, if you want to go as a business and you don't want a tour guide to show you around, because one of the requirements for a tourism visa is you have a tour guide. And of course, I, I don't have thousands of dollars to drop on a tour guide to waste my time. I guess mm. many people don't either. So you simply create a company in England for $12, $12. This is what I did. I created a company for $12 and I registered myself as a tourism company. I called it Routledge Tours Limited. Real, by the way, you can Google it. <laughs> and, then, and then I wrote a letter of invite to myself saying I'll give myself a tour and keep myself safe. And you know what? <laughs> the, the, the mother effers accepted it. <laughs> it's worked with every other company since. And that means you can just pop down there and walk around. Now, I do advise actually having a guy there I can show you around. But if you do it informally and just pay the guy like $40 a day, you know, he gives you some translation services. He gets you out of any any sticky spots or translation. Yeah, that's chill. But that's generally how you go. That's incredible. That's incredible. So the, the, the <clears throat> like we mentioned, the, the, the kind of the format of our shows, we pick these proverbs to talk about. For you, the one that seemed perfect fit was not all who oh, yeah. wander are lost, right? Because you're you're out out wandering. Um, I want to throw it over to Andrew. Andrew, did you find anything interesting about this one, or, or have any additional questions for? for well, yeah, Al? it's it's one that to me seemed like oh, this is a really old one, but yeah, it's it's from the Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's it, it's an invention by by Tolkien, and it's um, but it's really wonderful, and it, I think it really encapsulates a lot of um, human nature. And, and uh, like you said, Patrick, it speaks well to, to our traveler friend here. Um, I, I was wondering, uh, Miles, what, so, I mean, you kind of, you kind of stumbled in a little bit on purpose. You, I mean, Afghanistan is not exactly a t- typical tourist destination, but since then you've been doing other places that are, that are also not typical tourist destinations. Is it, what was it about your experience, your first experience in Afghanistan and your, your subsequent ones, you know, that you're, you're still doing this? You haven't been uh, scared out of it, so to speak. Uh, what, uh, why do you keep doing this? Well, one, I've been able to do it. So for me, it keeps profiting. I, I do run it as a business to some degree. There's a sense of adventure there. I do love the adventure aspect. But bloody hell, it does pay the bills, does it not? And I know so many people that are miserable in their nine to five, sitting in the office all day, kind of jerking off uh, Excel, to put it lightly, and just sitting around thinking about, you know, oh, my lunch is at this time. Let's just kill, try and kill three hours. Oh, it's after lunch. Let's go and kill four or five hours till I get to go home. And then they repeat the same process over and over again. Now, of course, some people are very happy with that, but it's it's within my blood and within my heart as a British person with a history of colonization and the great <laughs> spirit of exploration to go to these far off lands and not only just visit, but make something of it, a build an empire of business or create a crazy story that makes... Uh, you know, Drew Binsky and all these other average YouTuber traveler, travelers, you know, sit back and go, wow, I want to go down to history. I've only got one life and I'm going to use it wandering and making something of myself. So I go down in history with a crazy Wikipedia page and most <laughs> psychologists studying me in a hundred years time. Very good. Yeah, <laughs> you are you are probably the first uh, uh, guest we've had that has a Wikipedia page. So our most famous guest, probably. Uh, I, when I told my wife I was having you on, she's like, "Who is this gentleman?" And I'm like, "Here, just read up on him right here. You can read his Wikipedia page because he's." And so uh, it was pretty exciting. Um, a question I have for you is: <clears throat> Were you always adventurous? Like as a kid, were you doing kind of crazy stuff, going different places, or is that kind of that set on later in life? Oh, good point. Well, the first ever holiday I did have was in 2019, first ever holiday, first time abroad. And then Fall of Kabul was 21, so, and I was 19 at the time. So 
No, no, most likely I was actually the very good kid who would be a teacher's pet sitting at the desk going, oh, I've got my homework. I went over and above. <laughs> Please give me give me good grade. And I was incredibly boring. I wasn't uh, you know, a trouble kid. I wasn't one of those. I was having fun and pushing boundaries. But at the same time, I, I was kind of out there. Like, um, I, I think back to some memories and I think that was kind of retarded at me. For some reason... <laughs> Every two weeks, I believe my mother would take me to McDonald's, you know, um, and we would get those cool little electronics toys, you know, the early 2000s, you would get those like little video mm-hmm. games. And mm-hmm. I would just, I bought a hammer with, I bought a hammer and I started smashing them up and starting to figure out how the electricity <laughs> works until I actually electrocuted myself. And then my mother said, you can't smash up toy McDonald's toys in the garden anymore. And I was actually one of the, you know, the final generations that played outside. You know, I asked my peers and I asked people later, they they always just go, oh, you know, I, I went online and I all this video game. And I think, you know, you, you're losers. You're meant to go outside and go running. And I understand video games, they're cool. I used to play Worms on my old you know, family desktop. That was cool. But <laughs> bloody hell, you know, you're meant to go and climb trees and play in ponds and throw sticks at uh, children that are different from you and stuff like that. <laughs> so... <laughs> So yeah, I was a kid that got uh, you know stones thrown at him, but um, no, yeah, I was slightly different, but not entirely. I wasn't crazy, you know. But I guess yeah. it's kind of to come out of age. Autism has a delayed fuse, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> question, kind of, if if I could about about faith. Um, you've been you're a Catholic, uh, I think that's correct. Yes. And um, how was that going into a Muslim country? And uh, as as a Catholic, as a Christian, and do they accept you, or how, how did that work? Oh, it's joyful. Most people go, "You, you must be very scared." No, I'm delighted because if I could die for my cause, it'll be absolutely brilliant. I mean, I'm doing some work with a Catholic charity at the moment, and you know, with some stuff that goes on that I can't talk about, of course, but let's say I'm helping the faith. I believe there was one gentleman. Oh, I'll, I'll talk about this. I don't care. There was one gentleman in Afghanistan. He reached out to me and goes, "Miles." I'm obsessed. I'm, I'm like a 4chan user. I'm completely westernized. I wear jeans and t-shirt everywhere. I, I've, I, I don't play. I am prayed to the Muslim gods. I'm, I'm actually Catholic because I got radicalized through green texts and all these shit posts online. Uh, excuse my language. And, you know, I would love for you to bring me a Bible sometime. I go, you know what? You know what, my man? It'll happen. It'll, I'll do it. And I've just smuggled in Bibles into you know, strict Muslim countries where it would get you, you know, beheaded or beaten or something like that, to put it lightly. So at the end of the day, I'm very excited to go to these countries and kind of spread some faith discreetly, you know. So it's it's very empowering. Um, and I do want to get to the point where and I'm sending Bibles into North Korea or just, you know, doing these these big plans and it accelerates me it kind of gives me a little bit of emotion behind it and i i I don't be funny but you know when you see um an action movie and it feels so high energy that music actually starts playing in that movie and you kind of get involved with it emotionally it's getting to a point where i've started playing music in my head (laughs) alongside this it's it's delusional but it actually works out somehow you know it sounds like uh it's not schizophrenia but it's bloody close, Ed. Working out brilliantly. <laughs> That's incredible. Thank you, um, Andrew. Any any questions for me? Oh yeah, um, I'm I'm curious about your your travels to Ukraine. I as I've been there myself, not recently, but uh, yes. What did uh, where did you go there, and and what did you find? Yes. So as soon as we heard rumors about a Russian buildup on the Ukrainian border. I was like, oh, something's happening. So I flew over there and I waited about a week or two and nothing seemed to be happening. Uh, there was no new satellite movements and I I suddenly flew back to England thinking, oh, you know, it's just, uh, it's just a military exercise. Nothing's going to happen. And then mm-hmm. an Israeli gentleman who follows me seems like he is Israeli intelligence. He works in a think tank. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm not friends of his gentleman, but he just reached out to me, you know, I checked my yeah. DMs. And he said, Miles... I'm a fan of you and I have information that tomorrow this this evasion is going to happen. And I go, oh, okay, okay, tomorrow. I mean, dead on the clock it did happen. It bloody did happen. Uh, it was against all what the media was saying. And of course, I decided to fly back. I, I got up at 6 a.m. and I got to the airport by 7. 
and I was on I was in Poland by what nine o'clock and there was loads of other people going into Ukraine at the same time of course all flights were suspended but there was one last train that was going into Ukraine and of course I got one of the last tickets and I got the last train into Ukraine I went all the way to Lviv to Kiev and then Kiev to Kharkiv and from there I hung out with a gentleman who was a follower of mine and we saw bombings we saw uh, some horrific things to be honest it was very very serious and not very good to see of course there is an adventure aspect to it but you must take it seriously because people's lives mm. are being destroyed yeah so when i was there i tried to help some people out we started distributing some resources uh, I, I gave some people some money that we, i did a go fund me with it was all very nice and on the way back to uh, the hotel in kharkiv in the capital uh, from the front lines my car broke down and anyone at this point beyond a certain time past the curfew is seen as a Russian soldier or a Russian spy or someone. So you had to be inside your house. They were told shot on sight. Of course, they couldn't wait in my car less than half a mile from me. You know, there was bombing. So I was like, crap, you know, I can't be waiting in my car. Russians will arrest me and throw me in prison. And trust me, I don't want a second international diplomatic incident on me. <laughs> With a fall. It did happen, but yeah, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> anyway, I decided to go on a hike, and I it's a ghost town. No one in the streets. Very bizarre. Felt like World War Z almost. Um, and I pull into this abandoned building that's all overgrown with trees. I pull out my privates to go and take a piss, and then suddenly 10 Ukrainians jump out of the shadows, guns pointing my head, and go, hands in the air! I'm like, whoa, I've got one hand free right here. Um... <laughs> And they're like, oh, you're English. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can see my passport right here. And they go, oh, well, no problems, you know, just whatever. You're, you're a journalist, you do some work. And the thing is, gentlemen, I, I had a journalism pass. Now, was it genuine? Of course it wasn't. I printed one off in black and white, yeah, on a normal printer, attached it to, say, a, a lanyard, and on the back of it was my credit card. So it, it looked like, you know, it looked like it was actually attached to a piece of plastic. And they were mm-hmm. like, oh, why wasn't it, you know, why isn't it professionally printed? I was like, oh, I lost it. And this is my backup one as per company protocol. And they were like, oh, well, go on then, no problem. <laughs> and so I car- they radio ahead. Uh, I saw one gentleman, you know, being arrested, uh, some elderly old man. And then suddenly the soldiers pointed their guns at me, you know, little pointers, you know, little lasers on my chest. And I was like, hey. Hi. and I walked towards them threw them my bag they searched me and then they were like okay well carry on if you have to but you know bloody hell get inside somewhere and suddenly 200 meters back boom big explosion we run inside this school the soldiers and I and we're waiting it out so of course there's no light it's complete darkness it's night time at this point and I started talking to them they figure I'm not a Russian spy I figured out their special forces by the way because they tell me they're fitness scores and i go yeah that is there's that's like special forces type level and they go yeah wink go, oh okay okay i really found the special forces by accident that's cool so then i'm eating food with them it's i get some cool selfies it's it's rather absurd but i'm enjoying myself and then suddenly the windows blow out because it's an explosion glass is flying there's shaking of the uh, of a building and dust is falling and then we're, we're bloody being bombed. I'm like, oh dear. So they start screaming Ukrainian. I grab with a, one of their backs of their body armor. We're running downstairs, we're running downstairs. And we're running down three flights. And then when we get back, we look back. It's all collapsed behind us. The building's collapsed on us. We're in the basement. So thankfully, there's a, there's a network and you can walk out no problem. I sleep there the night on some AstroTurf. And then from there... I wake up, there's two Ukrainian women, women soldiers, blonde hair, blue eyes, to be fair, my type. And they're like, oh, do you want breakfast in broken English? I'm like, oh, I could stay, I could join the army. But I'm like, no, I'm sorry, I, I can't do this. And then I, then I make my way back and I walk through the Ukrainian underground railway, you know, the uh, subway network. And I'm meeting some refugees there. And I get out and I take the train to Odessa. Because if I go to Lviv or Kiev, then, you know, it's taking up a, a seat. There's not enough room. So I, I head out basically to Odessa. And I walk from Odessa to Moldova. I walk. So it's about 20 hours in the snow. I actually did enjoy it. You know, it, a good hike feels good. And then <laughs> I get in and I get on a coach all the way to Poland. So we go through like a few countries. A woman next to me dies. 
I don't know what it is. It was a heart attack what? or something. But she starts breathing very funnily. I posted about it online. Like, oh, this probably happened. She starts breathing funnily. I don't know what's up. Then suddenly we, we go on a stop for some food, a bathroom break. And when she gets off, she collapses. Ambulance comes. I'm like, oh, that's not good. So that happened, unfortunately. It shook me a little bit, but it's war. So yeah. I didn't expect, I shouldn't expect anything else. Then we get to Poland. My best friend <clears throat> and I at the time, we buy a $600 Polish car. So you can imagine how terrible that is, you know. Half the things don't work. It doesn't have insurance. We drive without insurance or anything to Poland, uh, sorry, to Ukraine. And it's full of resources, you know, nappies, essential foods, whatever. And the gentleman's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm bringing resources. They're like, oh, we don't need a paperwork. Go, go, go. <laughs> so, we, so we enter. Um, we distribute all the stuff. And then we make a post saying, hey, anyone stuck in some areas without transport, we'll take anyone else, just women and children first. This woman reaches out saying, hey, I'm near the front lines. My, so- my husband had to leave because he's joined the army. Um, our railway stations uh, decimated and we need a ride. So then he climbs it. They climb in. It's a woman, a dog, her baby. She's also pregnant and I believe the grandma too. We start driving. It's very awkward. We don't know what to say. We, speak, we believe she speaks no English. So we're just, we're just driving and with like, she starts crying. I'm like, bloody hell, woman crying. You know, women are a mystery to me, so I have no idea what to do. Neither <laughs> does my friend. And we decided to put on some music and we was like, dude, what do we do? And like, oh, yeah, hopefully she's okay. Oh, do we, should we, should we like try and cheer up? Oh, she doesn't speak English. She pipes up. She speaks perfect English. I'm like, damn it. Okay. That was awkward. <laughs> but we have a good laugh about it. She pulls herself together. We, we, um, we, we sing some songs. We listen to the radio. We have a good playlist. Uh, we should listen to your podcast if it was around at the time. And, <laughs> and then we just goof off a little bit. We drive two days to Poland we take her to her first ever McDonald's, which is quite an experience, you know. So, and then she ends up going to Germany. She's very happy right now. She's learning German. Pretty lovely lady. Uh, I don't think her husband made it in the long term, but yeah, and yeah, it's so expert, you know, war. And the next um, year or so after that, I just keep going back for my Chris for Christmas because I'm just bored because the flights <laughs> are so cheap. My flights yeah. are so cheap, I wonder why. And I meet some former SAS soldiers who I met in Afghanistan, just in hotels and stuff, and I hang out with them. And it's just become like a little bit of a destination for me. But yeah, sadly now, they um, are really down on the press badges. We've all seen the leaked documents. Russia's going to win eventually. It's just one of those wars of attrition like it usually is. Yeah, yeah that's, my, that's my Ukraine experience. Wow. That's- but... That's wild. I mean, that's that's kind of probably a common reaction to most of your stories, right? But yeah, <laughs> yeah, just just live, love, larp. I guess. <laughs> live, love, larp. <laughs> um, okay, so you did Afghanistan. That was kind of your first big adventure. Yes, you're there at the fall of Kabul. You get out <clears throat> the help of some SAS and etc. But then you go back. Right? Oh yes, can, yes. Can you tell six, us about the second time in Afghanistan? Six times. Yeah. So. I decided to go back and I wanted to help my tour guide at the time get out. And he was messaging me saying, oh, brother, big problems in Afghanistan. I helped for US previously. I need to get out. So I give him a plan to get out. And truthfully, he didn't follow the plan, but he got out in the end. But it meant I lost a decent chunk of change and I got a decent chunk of change and I got there as well. And I had nothing to do. And at the same time, I took I basically spent all my life savings trying to help this guy. It was, mm-hmm. it was stupid at the time, but you know, I was straight out of university. I was running a business that wasn't profitable. It was just break even, you know, first year. And I just felt like, oh, woe me. You know, I can't, I can't, I can just afford my trip back. I just don't know what I'm going to do to raise some funds for the next trip. I've disappointed my, my, um, my YouTubers and my supporters and all this other stuff. Oh, it looks like the end for Lord Marl. It's so over. It's so over. <laughs> And then I decided to go into my hotel because I've just arrived in Kabul and I have the uh, I have a, like a like a badge for my old hotel from the fall of Kabul. So I knock on the door. It's this big steel door, this big compound. It's it's like nine o'clock at night. You can't see beyond, you know, uh, you can't see your fingers if you hold out your hand. There's no street lights. Knock on the door and some very big bearded guy lets me in after I show up a bad pass. I'm like, OK, OK. He doesn't look like a staff I've met. 
And then I found out it's now a Taliban compound. I've just walked into it. So I'm like, oh, Whoops. dear. Oh, dear. But you know what? They give me food and they let me watch cricket with them. And you know what? We're, we're cheering against Pakistan. It's a very good trip. I'm goofing off. I'm enjoying it. We're, um, we're having fun, you know, and I take a selfie. That was a cool selfie. Blows up a little bit. And you know what? They gift me one of those Taliban flags. And they go, what? You've got these Taliban flags? You can just buy them? I thought it was like, you know, a digital flag at this point. You race really started manufacturing flags? I'm like, yeah, brother, no problem. I go, okay. And I tweet about this, and people go, whoa, I want to buy this flag. And I go, oh, I wish, but, you know, it's probably sanctioned, probably not allowed. I do, I do five minutes of Googling, you know, I become a lawyer for five minutes. Turns out it's not <laughs> sanctioned. The Taliban are considered a terrorist organization. Yeah, if you buy it off, like, a high-ranking member, sanctioned, of course, but any member of the Taliban you can chill with, buy, buy them stuff, you're fine. So I'm like, okay. So I buy off a bunch of flags, like 50 flags, and I buy off a bunch of other stuff. Obviously, it's cheap, and I sell it for a decent profit, but that's you know for flying to Afghanistan and all that. Sure. I make a few thousand. I'm like, you know what? We're so back, guys. We're so back. And then I keep, <laughs> and I keep going back there. My best friend, you remember one from uh, Ukraine at the time, he goes, you know what, Miles? You know what? I go, what? And he goes, I'm doing a PhD in this chemistry stuff, and I'm really interested in archaeology and, uh, you know, studying the earth and geology. Now, Afghanistan has $3 trillion of mineral reserves. And I go, oh? And he goes, yeah, you know what? Why don't we start a gold mine? I'm like, gold mine? Sure, why not? What could go wrong? That's clearly my field of expertise. <laughs> and, you know, what? <laughs> something does go wrong. After about three or four trips of me getting there, talking to people, getting samples, on my fifth trip I go there, we all get arrested, right? We all get arrested eight months in Taliban mm-hmm. prison. They get out in three months, sorry, three weeks because they've got EU passports. So their embassy helps them out, but I'm stuck there. Yeah. The Taliban think I'm a spy. Turns out to work in intelligence, you must acquire intelligence. I'm lacking it, guys. So <laughs> let's, let's be fair. Anyone listening in, you two can tell that. So they're like, you're just a goofy, fun-loving guy, aren't you, Miles? I'm like, yeah. And they go, okay, well... <laughs> Miles, you went to this gold mine site, but you didn't have a license. You know, whatever, you know, our laws are weird. You you know, it's still our laws, though, so we got to give you a minimum sentence. But, you know, minimum sentence, minimum problems, minimum security. We're going to put you in a nice guest house. We're going to keep you cushy. Oh, you took out some money from the ATM before you um, you got arrested? Here's all that money back. Here's $1,000. Oh, your laptop was in your custody? You want your laptop? Like, re- write a book and, like, watch movies? Yeah, here's your laptop. Oh, you want to go out to like restaurants and have tea with the Taliban? Yeah, that's cool. And the guy I was speaking to, he's the head of foreign intelligence. It's like making friends with like the second top tier of the CIA. You know, it's it's the same equivalent. I'm chilling of him. He's a lovely guy. Have some funny stories, children of the Taliban for eight months. I went back again, literally one month ago. That's what my latest video is about. I went to Tora Bora, you know, the bin Laden caves. Uh mm-hmm. didn't find him though. Didn't find him. I think he's somewhere else. <laughs> But, you know, cool trip, lovely people, um, good country, honestly. If you if you have a ball to do it, have the risk tolerance, acknowledge the risks, and plan carefully and have a bit of money to burn, yeah, I don't see why not. Just, yeah, do your research. You know, when I was in college, <clears throat> I uh, I was studying political science, and I was interested in foreign affairs and traveling places, oh, yes. that sort of thing. And, and uh, I had this opportunity to go to, to Kurdistan in northern part of Iraq, Oh. During the Iraq war, this is straight up during the Iraq war. And I was talking, emailing this guy back and forth about, I could go there and be like an intern and study things. And I, I didn't do it. I, I like, you know, I was, I had this job that was, that it was a pretty good job in the States and it had like tuition reimbursements so was paying for my schooling. And I was like, ah, I'll just stick. And it was one of the biggest regrets I ever have. I wish I had just oh, pulled yeah. the trigger and done it. It would have been so awesome. So I love hearing stories of someone who just did it. Yeah. But at the same time with Kurdistan, I believe it was like nine out of 10 foreign fighters died and there wasn't many foreign fighters who went there to obviously fight the Kurdistan. I do know a few Americans who went over, you know, um, ex-Marines and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to there, they described it as seeing like, you know, they make uh, friends of 12 people. They go on an operation, you know, five come back and it's like that every, every week. It was a bloodbath, but bloody hell, you would have had an interesting time. And something tells me you would be the one that's coming back. <laughs> but there's, I appreciate there's, that. I appreciate there's that. always an opportunity out there, and to be fair, it's never too late, my dude. But that sounds really fascinating. What would have your what would have what would have your university um, thought of that, or were they endorsing it, or did they have no idea? 
Yeah, they were, they were, there was a, they would have given me credit for it. They would have given me some credit for it. The only issue was the money. I had to pay my own way and I had no way to earn money. And uh, yeah, but they they were, it was a, like a, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it was at Kurdistan of all places, but, but yeah, they had uh, some foreign thing and, and it was very not well known and not a lot of people lining up to sign up for that one, but I I was fascinated by it, but uh, (laughs) I'm really surprised what might've been. I'm surprised he offered that. I mean, bloody hell, most universities nowadays, they're very risk averse. You know, if, oh, you said, you said the wrong pronoun, oh, kicked out, bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah. you was like, yeah, go to a war zone. Hang out, hang yeah. out with them. High, mortu- high mortality rate. Yeah, high ward. <laughs> go. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> I, one of my questions I have for you is on all your experiences, is there one, did you have one most fun experience or something that you just thought was just a complete laugh that uh, that stands out above all the others. I met a member of ISIS. That was rather fun. So um, it's pretty cool. I've got one of these ISIS coins that kind of proves it. Um, if anyone Google's ISIS coins, here you go. You mm. can see that right there. This one's yeah. a cheap one, but yeah, it's illegal to have. But what are you gonna do? Um, my address <laughs> is on public records. I'm subletting off someone. I don't care. Um, but yeah, so I was in Taliban detention, but I was. Uh, with the head of foreign intelligence and I think one of the ministers. I'm just chilling, sitting in a room in the headquarters of the GDI, having tea and I'm sipping it. We're, we're chatting about you know how things are in England, no niche things. And then suddenly everyone stands up, all the Taliban, all 12 of them. And like, they're discussing amongst themselves in Pashto, like whispering. And I'm thinking, oh, damn, what's going on? They go, Mars, we've got another guest, but he's not so welcome. And I go... Okay, what does that mean? A prisoner? I'm like, another prisoner? Okay, well, interesting. So everyone moves into the next room, and I, I go into the next room. And we're just sitting around waiting, and one guy comes in, but it's not that man. So I'm like, okay. And this other man walks in, and he looks like a member of the Taliban. Big beard, you know, typical hat and attire. So I think he's a member of the Taliban. So I shake his hand. I'm like, oh, somebody gone, you know, peace be upon you. And they bat my hand away. They go, Moles, do not shake his hand. That is a member of ISIS. We've just captured him. And I go, oh, and I slap him across the face. I'm just <laughs> reacting on it. I'm reacting on instincts, bro. A member of ISIS is like three inches from me. He's looking into my eyes, dead upon me. Like, you know, uh, he has like really narrow eyes, looks pissed off to see a white guy. He clearly knows I'm not, uh, not a Muslim. I don't have a beard. I've been shaving. So I slap him and they start laughing. We're like, okay, Miles, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, when we're meant to treat prisoners well, but we get you. And they go, well, we saw him try to sneak in from Pakistan. We have a zero tolerance for ISIS in Afghanistan, Miles, we've been eradicating them. And it's what the head of foreign intelligence is famous for. When I got out, I Googled his name. I can't say it, but I Googled his name. He has personally killed 200 members of ISIS in Jalalabad, personally. Are you ISIS? Yes. Gunshot at the back of the head. Just zero tolerance. Sheesh. These people, these people, they don't deserve to be in prison. They don't to be waiting and abiding their time. They torture women and children. You know, you've seen horrific things they do. So he just he just was like, yeah, they've shown their true colours. The international community doesn't like them. We don't like them. Executed, which is very good of the Taliban. But I met that member of ISIS. I saw him get interrogated. They put him on his knees and they spoke to him and said, you know, what, what's your mission? What, what are you here to do? All this other stuff. And when he saw the head of foreign intelligence, he's known throughout the country. He's like, you see his face, you know you're in trouble. So for me, the head of foreign intelligence is a lovely man, but of course, for a member of ICE, he's very stern. And he speaks to him in like single words. And the man's just speaking a million miles per hour, going, no, 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 trying to explain himself, panicking. Clearly, he knows he's not in a good situation. The head of foreign intelligence responds by you know, a few words, just like, what else? Or don't lie to me. And of course, he just carries on. And then after 20 minutes, he's taken away and... We can only imagine uh, what happened to him, but at the very least, he's faced prison time. He does the same stuff that the Americans would do, to put it lightly, and I've got to admit, I endorse, I endorse it. Um, <laughs> and it was very insightful. It was very, very insightful. And then from there, we had a pizza party, um, and we just spoke about business. It was one of those days that just really got the heart thumping, you know, and it was rather interesting. If anything, it kind of made being in Taliban prison somewhat insightful and exciting. Yeah, like, you know, I'd a, say so. Yeah, a little uh, peek into it. And to be fair, eight months in my life, 
Yeah, I'd say it's worth it. It just adds to the Wikipedia page, as you know. <laughs> Heck, man, I've traded uh, eight months in Taliban prison for eight months of, of college. It was so boring sometimes. But <laughs> Oh, tell me about it. I didn't go to lectures. What's, <laughs> what's one of your standout things, then? Well, I think I probably would have learned more uh, more about political science there than I would have in a classroom anyway, so uh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Now I have something on my bucket list. Uh, slap an ISIS soldier across the face. I want to I do that. Uh, that. That's a pretty incredible story. Very good, very good. Well, I'll, I can I can probably arrange it. Um, I'm going to Lebanon <laughs> quite soon to meet some of those people for an interview that's been organized by um, a news anchor. Basically, the promise is, or the premises, okay, Miles, tell them your, you know, Sky News or Fox News or something, and they'll allow you to interview them because they want their side outs, but of course you heavily edit it to make sure it's not you know, and not pissed off by YouTube, it doesn't cause issues, but um, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 high risk, but it's bloody worth it to interrogate them. Um, yeah. Do you remember when, do you remember when, uh, I believe it was Vice News, good in the good old days, when they decided to join ISIS for a month just to film what it works like and what it's like on the inside. Yeah. Some white some white American dude, Christian, joined ISIS and somehow made it out. And these are the small well, these big challenges that I think would be very interesting if you do it morally, don't fund their groups or I don't know, there's adventures out there. You know what I mean? I think for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, I'm trying to talk for from sure. a legal standpoint, like, oh, I don't want to join them, but, you know, I'd love to film them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no yeah. kidding. Yeah. So you have, a, you have a book out, is that correct? Yes, one of them, yes. Um, my, my rambles, the first book is called Lord Mars um, in Afghanistan. It just speaks about the fall of Kabul, some exclusive photos, some stories about how I first met the Taliban and talked my way out of silly situations, stuff like that. The second book I'm writing is called Lord Miles' Hard Day in Taliban Prison. Now, to be honest, that's very behind on deadlines. I've, I've been swamped with work, but it's much more high quality. I've got the scope of making at least 500 pages compared to 200 pages beforehand. Exclusive photos, of course, um, and interviews for Taliban. It's very insightful. And I've read all these other videos. Sorry, I've read all these other books talking about how people have been stuck in Taliban prison or ISIS prison or whatever. And it's mostly just like, I, I, this is honestly a, um, a book I read saying after two weeks, I wanted to kill myself. But they were saying like they were treated nice and they were just kept in a room with other Westerners and we talked to people. And I don't understand their point of view. I think they're cowards and they have no ambition. So I feel like this book's going to do well, hopefully. But if not, it'll be the most prestigious toilet paper anyone will use. <laughs> speaking of prestige uh can you tell us about your your title lord yes it may be identity fraud or it might be a fun <laughs> whimsical loophole depending how you see it now legally on all my bank cards i won't show it to the screen i could but i won't it says lord on it and of course it gets me out of some funny situations it also gets me the occasional flight upgrade although i don't like pulling that but it doesn't hurt you know um so what happened was in england you can get the title of lord it's like uh like a few steps below royalty almost it's like um one step below santa in the us i guess you know maybe mayor or something so <laughs> what i did was i was i was in university and it was well known within my university dorms you know a bunch of friends i'm staying with Oh, Miles used to be homeless for six, three months, but it'll be funny if we buy you this for your birthday, a little certificate that says Lord Miles, the, you know, Lord Miles is now legally a lord. And yeah, funny. It's funny because it's a homeless, uh, homeless person that's also a lord. I don't know. It's it's a silly shit post. We were 18, 19. So, I've, <laughs> so I got the certificate, this little gag gift. And I thought, ha ha, very funny, right? But when I looked at it, and I think, wow. This is really high quality. This is, you know, embroidered. It's got a funny stamp. It's thick paper. Feels good. Even smells good. Jeez, how far can I take it? So <laughs> I put on my best suit, which is my only suit, and I walk into my local bank and I do it right before lunch and I do it when it's the busiest too. So of course they're not incentivized to spend too long inspecting it. And I walk in and go, oh, excuse me. Yes, hello. I would like to uh, change my title, please. Oh, yes, certainly. Thank you. Oh, no, 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 uh, Lord, Lord. And they're like, look at it. And they're like, oh, oh, well, I've never seen this before. He's got, he's got a suit on. He has a posh voice. 
<laughs> and he's, he's, he's charismatic, put in the scanner, scan, put request in on the computer. Boom, new card comes through, says Lord. Boom, I get to update my credit file. Boom, it's, it's Lord everywhere. And it's just in the system now, it's good. Um, so I've just been running with it, and it's a little gag gift. And every time I call up, like, Amex, the customer services, they go, oh, hello, um, and my, my um, name is now under a different name, so... They don't say Lord Mars, but for uh, personal reasons, just a mess of journalists so they can't find out anything about me. Uh, they they call me by a different name, and I call up, and they go, oh, hello, Mr. Routledge. Oh, Lord Routledge, my deepest apologies, sir. What can I do for you this fine day? Anything you want. No. Um, and it has got me out of some silly situations. I did want to originally use it in case I got... Um, interrogated by the Taliban during the fall of Kabul, I thought, oh, I can use it as like a backup of a backup. You know, sure. If they stop me, I can go, actually, I'm British royalty and I can use it as a negotiating ploy. Think I'm <laughs> someone important. Of course, I never came to that, but during my interrogations, you know, in Taliban prison, I did pull that card and they found it really funny and they liked it. Um, That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, can you, guys, can you guys do that in America? Is there some sort of also in the uh, in the West, is there some sort of equivalent for you guys? Is there like a like I know in France they have a Viscount, which is my middle name. What's like what's the equivalent of Lord in the States in North America? I don't know. I, we we really don't have don't it. Know. Like mm, it's no. uh, specifically prohibited in the United States, like titles of of nobility. So yeah, yeah I mean, I guess you know, I, political offices, I guess, would be the closest thing like i see you know former former see, congress people former senators often like to be called it even after when they're out of office you know they like to hang on to the title and stuff but but it seems like they'll just elect anyone nowadays so it's, it's yeah. kind of yeah i don't know if it's very honorable anymore i was about to say imagine being called senator of the u.s i don't i mean it's obviously royalty to the americans seems a bit cringe and a bit unconstitutional but if you if i hear senator in the West, I think criminal, you know, especially in the US, uh, because they're all insider trading and saying, yeah. oh, democracy, we're not going to care. I, I, I don't know. I got elected on these promises. I'm not going to fulfill them. Screw it, you know. Um, yep. We've got the same problems in the UK, just a bunch of uh, empty, empty words from politicians, a bunch of, you know, I don't want to say wankers, but that's <laughs> the most polite way of putting it. I use yeah. multiple language. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've got a question for you. Uh, you're, you're clearly open to experience, um, but where is there anywhere that you, you draw the line? Do you watch those YouTube videos of people eating hot wings and you're like, no, no way. I would never do that. Like what, a, oh, no. <laughs> what for you, what for you is, mm. is, is off limits. California and Detroit, I would say. <laughs> I don't think I would survive it. Like I got invited to Detroit by someone and I said, no, thank you. Um, diversity is not our strength. Um, I would not feel comfortable going there i would die um to be fair though there's nothing really off limits um i want to go to antarctica i did have this i have this one story that shows the lemps i would go to so if you the people at home listening google alert canada there's a nuclear alert base that's on the very very northern tip of the north pole and if you look at canada there's these islands right there there's these islands that no one knows what goes on, you know, just a frozen waste, a wasteland. And the very most northern airport, it's called George Floyd Airport. I call it George Floyd Airport. And 500 <laughs> miles north is that Canadian Air Force Base. You know, it's like a, a nuclear detection site. It's it's very mm-hmm. high. It's very it's impossible to get to. You need stupidly high clearance. And the only way to get there is a C-17 or a 500-mile walk through uncharted Arctic territory. So... I DM the Canadian government. I, I send an email to their military saying, hey, can I pop down? I'd love to do a hike. And they say, no, you need you need uh, to be Canadian. You need security clearance. It's not allowed. Bye-bye. And I go, but is there a fence though? And evidently there wasn't. <laughs> so I'm willing to walk 500 miles through polar bear territory just just for the experience, just for the nobility of it, because it's it's something no one's ever done. I want to go to North Central Island too. I want to go to everywhere on Earth that's deemed dangerous. So maybe a YouTuber in 10 years will see this and go, oh, I can't do it. Someone already has. And then my children, my grandchildren, become, become space explorers and then one day you know, go out into the stars and carry on the legacy. 
Love it. There, I, I read this book by this guy who's similar to like a traveling uh, journalist. It was called God's Middle Finger. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. But, yeah, I've, but it's I've about this name. guy's. Yeah, it's about this guy's travel down into Mexico in the Sierra Madre mountain range. Crazy, dangerous, but ex- really exciting, really interesting book. Did he you come probably... across? Uh, did he come across um, cartel a lot? Is oh that yeah. Oh yes. Yes, oh. absolutely. Almost died several times, but it was. It's a good book. And how did he? How did he talk his way out of it? You know, it was probably. I probably read that book a decade ago. I can't remember the details of it. But I should yeah. reread it, but it's. It was interesting. I highly recommend it. It was a page turner. Let's see. Okay, I've got it right here. I'm screenshotting it. It's yeah. on the list. I actually do have a list. Oh, nice. I love reading. Yeah. I love reading. That's a good one. Um, God's middle finger. Yep. Got it. Uh, into the lawless heart of the sea. Uh, yeah. Yep. Excellent. So, so uh, what would you say to? I mean, we this this um, podcast with our proverbs and everything. We kind of centered around a lot of like giving advice or. Um, um, you know, just a, a good life advice to people. What would what advice would you give to people um, who are contemplating maybe taking a taking a leap or going on an adventure or, or something like that? What would you say to somebody? Mm. I would give two pieces of advice. First one is very simple. If you go take a leap, make sure you have a backup plan. So, for example, if you're willing to go to a different country to start a business or even start a business, <clears throat> have a little bit of pocket change saved up just in case it doesn't work out. So you have a backup plan. Just have a backup plan. I had a gentleman come with me to Afghanistan and he spent his life savings on it. Actually went into overdraft and I wasn't aware of this. I thought, you know, he's doing quite well. And of course, you know, he's he's been in financial troubles ever since. Not good. So I, mean, I would clearly recommend against it. I did give him a warning. So if you go do something a little bit ballsy, a little bit absurd, just make sure you have backups. You know, usually a few thousand dollars in a bank would help mitigate it, usually. And the second thing is just stop talking and talking about doing stuff. Oh, woe me. The amount of people that go to me saying, Miles, I'm thinking about doing this. I feel like I really want to do this. I feel like I want to go out there. Oh, people, all they do is talk about feelings nowadays. It's mental masturbation. That's what I like to see. People talk mm-hmm. about some of these grand ideas and they use these uh, analogies and similes and all, all this emotional language. Like it, like it matters. If I see something going on, I would Google a little bit, do a few sentences, and I would simply go because I want have done step one, which is have means to do it, you know, have some backup options. But also because I am secure enough in myself mentally to actually go to a place and risk it all. Most people, when they have a dream, they say, oh, I'm going to do it. But they don't give themselves a date or anything. They just say, oh, I'd love to sometime. I'd love to get a girlfriend sometime. I'd love to get fit sometime. And again, it just makes them feel better. I think it's a comfort thing. But none of them mm. actually do it. And a lot of people just talk all the time to themselves. I, I never take them seriously. I, I hate when people tell me their plans and they have nothing to show for it. I, yeah. if, I, if someone says, I want to go to this country, I'm like, okay, show me your flight. Or, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing this business. Okay, show me your research document. So on and so on. Mm-hmm. So just one, just do it or at least work on it. Just spend one hour a day. Everyone can free one hour of the day. I'm doing a million different things at the moment. And I don't want to. I don't want to sound cocky, but I'm bloody getting stuff done, and I'm very proud of myself. Now, of course, I'm far from perfect. I, I waste time here and there, like all of us. But bloody hell, when I say I'm doing something, I am, and that's what you need to be. I love it. I love it. There's a um, <clears throat> since our show is inspired by Kipling. There's another Kipling quote that says, "All things." One of my favorites. <clears throat> it goes, "All things considered, there are two types of men in the world: those that stay at home and those that do not." And I'm, uh, yes. you're the latter for sure. I love it. And, uh, yes. and I think that's great advice. Even, I mean, you don't have to go to Afghanistan for that to be great advice. Just whatever project, whether it be small or big that you're thinking about working on, get off your butt and do it. You know, uh, I think that's yeah. fantastic advice. Exactly. You know, you're exactly right, Patrick. I mean, the thing is, if you, if you want to go on a venture, Appalachian Trail, go on a hike. It's bloody yeah. easy. Most people have one day of a weekend free. Go on a nice little scenic hike. You don't need a fancy equipment. Honestly, I can. I've gone on hikes in jeans and t-shirt before, and some white shoes. Not the smartest idea, but it's bloody possible. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, just go somewhere beautiful. If you want to go abroad, absolutely Canadian mountains. You could go to um, I don't know a smaller Muslim nation where it's just different, but it's very safe and it won't break the bank. Tunisia. Uh, you could fly from London to Tunisia for forty dollars. Um, I've known flights from New York to uh, London for 
$250-$300 if you time mm-hmm. it correctly um, they're re- and it's visa free too so you don't have to pay a penny um, there's, there's clearly options out there for people it's just again you need to plan and you need to make things happen well, Miles, we're running up on time, but man, thank you so much. This was excellent. You are an inspiration uh, to so many people who are sitting in their offices wishing they could do something. Uh, where can people find you or what, what projects are you working on? Do you want to sh- uh, push any projects or, or let it, us know about anything? Yeah, sure. So um, if you want to know where to find me, my coordinates are longitudes 833 slam. <laughs> but um, I've done that a few times, but to be fair, I'm, I'm living with I'm trying to live privately now. I have doxed myself several times, rather fun. No, you can find me in the United Kingdom and sometimes in the most crazy places. But if you want to find me online, just search Lord Miles on X, Lord Miles on Twitter. On X, I have 230,000 followers and a blue checkmark. On Instagram, a little bit smaller, about, I think it's like 17,000. YouTube, that's where I'm uploading once every three weeks. Just search up Lord Miles. Uh, there's a million videos about me. And if you also want to support me on my co-fi, it's like Patreon. You pay a few dollars a month, you get exclusive access to a group chat and some items sent to you each month. Pretty good deal if you ask me. Um, you know, your parents will be really happy of, with Taliban headbands coming from a post. Just search up Lord Miles. <laughs> I, tr- I trust that you won't be disappointed if you do that. Um, and plus you help fund my adventures. That's excellent, man. Well, hey, thank you so much again. This has been fantastic. And yes, everybody go check out Lord Miles on on all his uh, platforms. And uh, yeah, thanks again, man. We really appreciate it. It's been excellent. Thank you. Thank thank you for having me on too, guys. It's been lovely. Our pleasure. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you guys next week. There are only four things certain since social progress began. That the dog returns to his vomit. The sow returns to her mire, and the burnt fool's bandaged finger goes wobbling back to the fire. And that after this is accomplished, and the brave new world begins, when all men are paid for existing, and no man must pay for his sin, as surely as water will wet us, as surely as fire will burn, the gods of the copybook hideous, with terror and slaughter return.